Hi folks and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted to be joined by Ella Banua today. She is head of a business called Innovators Compass, which is a socially focused organization looking at putting out the, the concepts around how to get unstuck in the world based around her work with IDEO and design thinking, based on her work and her early exploration of design at MIT. Fascinating conversation today. We will go into many different things in terms of her journey and experience, her work with David Kelly, one of the founders of Design Thinking. And we'll start to get it down to the simple principles that she uses and thinks about in that space. And I love particularly that moment where she says that uh, every moment is a project, no matter how small, and how do you tackle that and how do you, you take on board some of the learnings and principles? How do you access some of the the questions that can powerfully get you unstuck. So I'm looking forward to to getting you to listen to this and for you to pick out, just as I did, a whole lot of information and ideas from that. Enjoy. Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted today to be joined by Ella Banur, who is a fellow design thinker, a social entrepreneur, which I love as well, with us going in this year into the, the 500 and the project around that. But I'm delighted to, to have her here today. Tell a bit about her background and story, which is fascinating to me. Ella, welcome. Thank you. I am excited to be here. For the listeners, Ella, why don't you just go into a bit of your background, a bit of a story about where you've been, because it is fascinating to see your journey and where you've ended up. So, yeah. Thank you. Journey, you know, I think there's the concept of 2020 hindsight. So it now looks like this journey. Oh, I totally understand what it came, where it came from, but couldn't have seen it. I think, you know, at the beginning, but I think looking back now, it, I've been propelled by this question. How do we make things better? How do we get things unstuck? Uh, since I was a kid and as a child of immigrant parents and, um, a sister to a physically and cognitively disabled sister and going to school in a very underserved area. And so I saw challenges around me, and I also saw wonderful things around me, and just wondered, I think already then, how do we make things better? And both of my parents are people who started in like the physical sciences and are really handy and, and made do with whatever was around them to sort of literally make things better, to fix things, to make things as we needed. And I think those are what took me in my first steps to MIT, where people really, really make things better, quite literally. Mm. And from there, it's been an go- ongoing journey from things to people. So there, I'm you know, working on surgery simulators and things like that. But caught on to this thing, this design thing, while I was at mm. MIT. And um, my first couple design classes, I loved it. And that's where I chose to focus. And from there, went to IDEO, where people make lots and lots of very different things better. IDEO, when I started there, and Gee, I was an intern in 97 and uh, started full-time in 99. Helped design a lot of really physical things uh, before my time. The first commercialized Apple Mouse. And you know, during my time, we worked on um, the cockpit of the future and ways to dispense dog food. <laughs> I mean, just about anything. But it grew during my time there, my 13 years there, to do that and a lot more um, services and um, strategy and, and less, less tangible things that we were thinking about how to how to make better. Um, and I also grew in my role from coming in as a product design engineer to doing more of the front end design research with people and landing um, with my sweet spot 
leading projects from start to finish, um, but my own personal kind of strength, you know, people would bring me in for, there were a couple. One was being sort of dubbed the framework queen, like when things were really complicated. I often led the most, (laughs) I led a lot of the most complicated projects as well, but when there's just, you know, a room full of observations and we're trying to make sense of it and sense that we can use that is powerful going forward um, to be able to come in and listen to all of that and look at all of it and draw somehow a simple but powerful picture that is usable to find your strategy forward and to come up with ideas to to follow that strategy and, and, and have meaningful conversations and decisions around. So you discover things as you're in new roles, and that was that was when I discovered, and also rapid prototyping was another. The framework queen is lovely. Yeah. It's fascinating, particularly the area that you talk about, which is many of the people that we work with struggle from the observations to the insights um, and holding that. And that, you mentioned that in that, that piece in there. And that's when I visited IDEO, that was one of the key areas that we wanted to really geek out on was how the hell do you do this? You yeah. Know? Well, a theme throughout all of this is understanding that everything, all of our challenges, all of our ways forward through them, everything is about people, right? This planet would be just fine without us. <laughs> and the more that we embrace that and all of the capacities of people, like we can draw pictures. The whole pictures are worth a thousand word thing. You know, everyone hates being asked to draw, but there's a reason for it. Um, and for me, that turned out to be a superpower. When I draw things, I you know, a lot, it shuts down what overworks all the time, like your brain and your words, right? In my workshops, I say, I want you to try one other tool you have on you besides your brain and your words, because we know we're going to use those. And, you know, we have other processing tools. We have our heart and our gut. And when we start to go faster or draw, it it taps into those. And that's why we brainstorm quickly too, right? Is to sort of shut some of those things down. And we have our eyes and our ears and our hands and our bodies. Like a lot of that during my IDEO time, I think I would have thought was like, what? When you talk about it that way. But then when you look at it, look at an IDEO project space and it's full of sticky notes everywhere. The reason that sticky notes have started to take over is because they engage our hands and our eyes to move things around our bodies. We're like, I think that's a big part of it, right? It enables us to think two-dimensionally and engage ourselves in ways. So for me, drawing pictures that make sense of complicated things in useful ways was just one of those ways of tapping into the way more things we can use than we normally do every day. So all the things I just mentioned, and we can use our words, we can also use pictures, we can use, you know, all the stuff and things around us. I'm also, one of my other things there was rapid prototyping, and just like I got from my parents, right? Like whatever's around us, let's answer this question, let's make something, let's do it. <laughs> and then the last thing that grew there early on, actually even at MIT, there's something just really empowering, unleashing, releasing about design and design thinking. And I just immediately wanted to pass it on. So already at MIT, the college student, I'm working with high school students um, or MTAing, you know, anything to pass on design and trying to do it in a way that actually passes on. And and at IDEO, I was always mentoring um, people, coaching teams, coaching clients. I also got the workshop queen at some point um, when a workshop, you know, came in was like, all right, queens, no, right, there's a lot. Know. There were many queens and kings and many things in the studio, but those were a couple of mine. <laughs> you know, it just it takes many, <laughs> it takes a village to, to do the kind of work that that place does. And so it's a village of many wonderful different people. And so that was, those were my couple. And that last one started to really drive me. I found that I loved coaching and mentoring and workshopping just a little bit more than leading and doing projects. Something about enabling other people to do those things, to release a lot of 
the pressures that really can shut down our creativity and tap into powerful simplicity, whether it's with, you know, (laughs) my drawings or their own ways of just, you know, making sense of whatever it is that they're trying to make better for a client. And so that started to just be much more appealing to me. Um, You know, I was realizing that was where my energy was. It didn't really matter what the project was. I didn't care really what we were working on all of that much until I started to care more about what we were working on. And the sort of the transition was for me was, especially when I had kids, I started to care a little bit more about what I was working on because I had to step out of the house every day and leave this kid to do it. And the other thing that was percolating for me was, this was IDEO, so inspiring, a wonderful place, a pretty human place, you know, as (laughs) corporate environments go, that uses design thinking, which is a way of finding our way through problems. And I was really interested in transferring it, obviously, to other people, as I talked about, but I started getting more interested about transferring it to different situations because I would notice, you know, for myself, um, there were times when I certainly wasn't able to apply it to navigate my own challenges, my stress um, as you know a leader of project that's got people all around the world. Andy talked about this in the last one, right? Um, about like you're up at all hours because you've got clients and and team members all over the world. Um, you know, some moments like that where. I'm, I'm not able to navigate it and feeling like, boy, this human-centered design thing probably should be able to work, but I can't access it at this moment. And then teams, you know, having difficulties or their client being client difficulties, and sometimes we're able to apply it, sometimes we're not. Um, and it wasn't necessarily even explicitly talked about to just, hey, let's design think our way through it. And so there's something about that because the projects and their success was really only the people in them and our ability to apply, you know, our own human-centeredness and, and our own creativity to all the layers mm. from individual to the team, to the engagement with the client, to of course the engagement with sort of the world of people that um, are affected by this project. You know, I have to be able to do it, all those layers and something wasn't quite porting in the way that I would have liked. So these kinds of questions about how do we, yeah. you know, really unleash, not teach, um, but unleash the stuff with more people. Um, it's more about like taking off a lot of the shackles to our curiosity and creativity than it is about <laughs> adding anything. Um, and how do we get it to just apply to more moments? So I left after 13 years. Um, well, I got the URL for my new place three years before that, but it, it took a while to actually leave. Um, it is a great place. It's that side hustle, isn't it? They call it like now the side hustle. Yeah, I had a side hustle. I was going to do something else. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. And I mean, I really believe in experimentation. And so I was mm. on the side <laughs> coaching some um, nonprofits mm. about to see how it felt. And it felt fantastic. You know, I was so fortunate to leave with the name and the network. Um, of both MIT and IDEO, which really helped. You know, I, I felt like I could leave pretty comfortably and it was going to be okay. And so I left as an independent consultant and coach mostly, but my world got so much bigger. Mm. It was not just corporate anymore so much, but everyone from educators to people leading nonprofits, such different people. And that really pushed me in this these crazy ways, coming out with some of the terminology that I was used to and having it just crash really, really hard, yeah. especially um, in both like edu- education environments. Like what, 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 what does that, what does that word mean? Or, you know, what do you mean by that mm-hmm. in social sector, nonprofit sort of settings where people are like, Oh, Hmm. Hmm. Um, people's challenges are not opportunities. Can we not use opportunity statement here? Or, um, I mean, in many of these things, the design thinking world has already discovered, like the perils of the how might we statement, um, which is amazing. It's, it has done so many great things in the world and it has some, challenges. So just going out and just relentlessly wanting this mission of 
making ways of making things better Mm -hmm. or ways of getting unstuck accessible for every person and moment, Mm -hmm. lingo aside, right? Like how do we make things better and making that accessible to every person and moment just really drove me. And I just kept feeling like I never wanted to see here, you know, what are we doing right now? Or how am I going to apply this to my work? Or I feel like I'm more confused than I came in, like anything like that. I just couldn't like zero tolerance for anything like that. And so just experimented and experimented. And at the same time through all of this was um, getting the chance to jam with a lot of other people who are not design thinking people um, by, you know, wouldn't call themselves that. They are people from adaptive leadership or agile development or appreciative inquiry from the more social sector side or, you know, all these different things where people who really focus on reflection and education practices. And at the same time, I'm a parent, I'm reading parenting stuff and I'm reading like teamworking stuff and I'm and, and leadership stuff. And like all of these things are starting to sound a little bit similar to me at some level. And they resonated with some of the same ways that we got unstuck and made things better at IDEO. I mean, I know there's like hundreds of ways that design thinking has been expressed, forgetting all of the, again, lingo, just really being able to move back and forth between really seeing what's happening now in new ways and seeing what could happen in new ways from details to big picture. It felt like we were always kind of bouncing back and forth between what is really seeing the the present in new ways, seeing the future in new ways, and bouncing back and forth between the details um, and the big picture because you need both. And that was what it kind of felt like. And over a lot of experimenting with ways of expressing that and ways that people could just use immediately, not have to learn, but apply in the moment, wound up with what is now Innovator's Compass. It was named by a history teacher of all people. But five questions that are kind of the essence of design thinking, but a a lot of other things, ways of making leadership better or making science better or making reflection better or making circuits better. At the essence, they're all asking us the same questions that I think we know to ask when we remember, (laughs) when we're at our best, when we are getting unstuck, when we are making things better. Remember, I draw pictures, right? So at the beginning, there's this person in the middle because it is human-centered, whatever, design or leadership or whatever, people at the center. Um, There wasn't originally a question at the center until I realized it was the most important one, which is who's involved and seeing them, not in the lens of like whatever problem you have, but just as people, right? First and foremost, who's involved with and for those people, what's happening now and why, whether you're observing or you're empathizing or whatever you're doing, you're looking for real details of what's happening now and why in the world and seeing it in new ways, looking not to just confirm you know, confirmation bias of how we already see things, but to be surprised, to be surprised by the upsides. It's appreciative inquiry, right? Like to notice and appreciate the assets and the the positive things that are going on that we maybe didn't notice before, as well as the challenges. But simply to just surprise and question ourselves, you know, what's going on? So what's happening and why? What matters most about all of that? So we've like seeped in all these details. And this is where, you know, you were saying, like, this is something, the hardest part. Sometimes you went looking to IDEO for help is how to see what matters most about all that. Where are there levers I can pull, right? Just as powerful as to throw, you know, again, to question, surprise ourselves. If anyone, you know, listening to Andy as a leader, as a parent, as a person to be able to say, doing this perfectly today and then go, wait, perfect, question mark, add a question mark there or today, question mark, like, oh my God, life changing. Um, But on a much, much bigger scale, right? How do we, you know, in our lives and our organizations and our world also explore simply, what matters most. Mm. And when I say explore, I mean like 
look at it new ways. It's difficult for people to do that because this piece about what's happening now, even what's happening now, can have filters on. So Andy, Andy Slee, who we're uh, we're talking about, who was on the first podcast episode, was so focused on things that we, he was missing the bigger picture. So even just thinking about extreme users in that circumstance and thinking wider than that is really helpful. So I think I think this is where, going back to a couple of points you made before, I think people don't understand the power of design thinking. And even now people are saying, oh, design thinking is past. And I'm like, really? Honestly? Because I don't think many people are applying it effectively at the moment. And you said it. You and I probably aren't in many things we tackle each day that we could be using it more for it. So, yeah, so those two first questions are really quite powerful. Yeah. Three, right? Who's involved? And extreme users comes in there is to look wider. Yeah, sorry. I, I yeah, no worries. as well. So. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one was discovered in a second grade classroom <laughs> when I was doing the rest of these questions with, with these kids. And I was yeah. like, wait a minute. We need to name and see the human beings. We were talking about the redesign of a chair. <laughs> Who would you design it for? Like, and I was like, nice. and I erased the big human I had drawn in the middle of the circle and, and made space. And then we wrote, then they started telling me, okay, yeah, the kids, right. And then sometimes the teachers sit down on chairs. Okay, sure. And then uh, sometimes the parents come and they sit down and we wrote that in. So, well, the janitors have to pick them up and move them around. Okay, let's write them in there. I was like, wait, of course. <laughs> that was not discovered standing in front of like the U.S. Conference on AIDS. No, it was discovered in, fortunately before that, in a second grade classroom. So, so that was the first question. Who's involved? Seeing them in new ways, seeing what's happening and why in new ways, seeing what matters most in new ways, right? exploring the things. And then, okay, once you've seen what matters most, we can, we can get stuck in each of these places, right? You cannot see people. You can get stuck not seeing what's happening and why fully, or like you said, with the blinkers on, you can get stuck not able to pull out and see what matters most about that and be you know stuck in the weeds and overwhelmed. You can get stuck having a sense of what matters most, but not seeing a way to do that or more than one way, <laughs> stuck in one way, right? That is not working. I mean, you look at what's happening, it's not working. So seeing what ways, more than one, plural ways are there to do what matters most. What matters most is a big picture question. And what ways are there is a big picture question to like look around, like see all the ways, more than one, before you dive back into details, right? Let yourself just kind of dream and not worry about the details and not worry about deciding. Just that space. To see multiple ways forward. I love the word dream in that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm verbally describing this compass that has has pictures associated with it as well. And this one is like the puppy cloud. Because you are up here in the big picture and you are able to dream. And they can be fuzzy and soft. They don't have to be detailed at this stage. And then finally, what's a step to try? And that's not like a general way. No, like a concrete step. These are no longer fluffy clouds. They're like concrete, actual hard blocks. And they used to be standing up straight. But... My then four-year-old said, oh, but experiments aren't like that. They, they don't work. They should be falling over. And I can't tell you, like, when I first tried to make these blocks hmm. fall over sideways in my diagram of, you know, this compass, it was like, oh, my God, but, oh, that's so hard to look at. Like, that's the point. <laughs> we have to be able to look at the blocks falling down and be like, yes, that's what an experiment is, and that could totally happen. And that's why it's a small yeah. step, and it's, it's one that, you know, we, we try to make a safe step but a step forward. So what's a step to try? Because you don't want to get stuck up there and like the dreamy ideas. You want to be able to try something. And so you have to make it small enough mm. that you'll try it, but also specific enough that you'll try it. It has to have a who, what, when, where, and how. Um, otherwise, like, yeah, let's collaborate more. That's an awesome idea. That is not an experiment. <laughs> that is not a, a step that I'm going to try. So, and then you have to come back to, you know, what's happening and why for everyone involved. Otherwise, you know, 
it's like this open loop and you're not, you're not owning what actually happened when you tried something Impact. and we can get stuck there too, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the linear representations, yep. <laughs> I think mostly are gone of design, but where it's yep. like, and then we did it. We implemented it. Great. <laughs> That's us done. Yeah. No, <laughs> sadly not. What I love is that a couple of things. One is the fact that it seems to be in school or school kids and your kids are the, who are actually coming back and getting you grounded on the who's in the center and then the knocking the, the, the blocks and shaping the blocks into mess yeah, I think yeah. is, is great because I, I do think they're big teachers. And what else I just want to say is that what I love about design thinking is that the desirability lens, the cloud analogy works, really works for me. It's staying there for a while. And I think too often nowadays we get into the pragmatic viability, feasibility too quickly in our lives around what could be possible. I'd love to take us back to the MIT side. I mean, when I walk around MIT and Harvard, firstly, I, I tend to have my absorbing, trying to get some intelligence into me as I walk around. But there's a, there's a bit of intimidation for me around MIT and its, its brand. But it sounds like it was a, a really quite formative place for you to learn and, and experience design thinking. Tell me what it was like as a culture there and how they used it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't think that the term, no, I know the term design thinking had not been popularized yet at that point. It had been coined, I believe, but not popularized yet. And so I took design classes. They were design. We designed things like designing, you know, a machine that will play a game or designing a product with a team. And that first team-based design course is the one that really flipped things for me because it was more open-ended. It wasn't like a game. You had to define the problem. You had to decide what you were going to design, who you were designing for. It was all really open and do that with other people. And so the people part just like, you know, exponentially just grew because the, the people we're designing for and the people that I'm designing with and which all made it way harder. Like I found I was able to pull all nighters at MIT until I took this class and then I couldn't anymore. I had to actually be like my whole self and I couldn't be, you know, sleepless and be able to do this class. And it was harder too, because it's not like a right answer. You're like, Oh yes, I scored 10 points. It's, you know, there's not quantitative. It's right? interesting. Like, yeah. It's much more open-ended and it, yet it was really, really compelling that, that openness is also just a space for so much creativity. And so these were quite literally design classes and we learned a design process. You know, I think, I mean, design thinking, when it, whether it was named or not and all the ways it's been articulated mm -hmm. have so much in common with each other as well as, like I said, lots of other things that are not called design thinking. So it doesn't matter. I mean, I think people who are at school for other things and, and designing better social systems are also, you know, who went to school for that are probably also coming away with design thinking. They just wouldn't know to call it that. But that ethos of going into the world, not even with a problem, like with just how can we, how can we make things better, but in an authentic way, like not just throwing stuff out at the world, but it, does, it really has to fill a meaningful purpose and and even like need finding you know i know i, I was really influenced um, by amy smith at mit who her, her work the d lab is is design development dissemination i think it's been a long time um but about doing work in the developing world and um she was really really reactive to things like uh you know need finding and like well you know these people like they're fine actually <laughs> are all fine so just making it meaningful and then and then going at it right like you know MIT doesn't you don't give up right like you just once you find that there is something that you can do to make things better then you just 
figure out how. And if it's technically difficult, well, that's okay. Like, that's what we've got to do. We want to make this thing happen. So that, that grit, that like, well, that didn't work, but let's keep going because this mission matters. I think that that is something else I came away with from MIT. That like, well, of course we're going to find a way. We must. <laughs> you, you talked about prototyping earlier on, but when you walk around MIT and you have a look through the window, you're seeing all the machinery you're seeing. So you're going back to your parents, you know, they, in terms of working on the practical pieces and the prototyping. And a lot of people miss that. They think, oh, design thing must be just, it's the brainstorming, it's the post-it notes. But actually, a lot of it is the prototyping, getting early feedback, the feedback loops. It's a, a powerful thing to see. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. And it's not just the feedback loop with other people. It's yourself. Mm. Even if it's a service, like anything, anything, just things in your life. Like we, you know, we can't see these things. But like there is stuff all over this house that has been made to make things happen. Things that are not tangible things. Like to be able to get at the door on time. There's um, a little like music that plays, that calls on Snuggle Fest. We all like leave whatever things we're doing. Like, you know, one daughter's lost in Legos and the other one's reading a book and they need to get out the door on time. So this calls everyone to Snuggle Fest. Like it took many iterations to, you know, my youngest daughter came up with this one idea, but it's like a little music right on my phone. Nice. Uh, nothing happens without a thing that makes it happen, even the most intangible things. So there's so many things you can prototype. Anyone can prototype or experiment with anything in, in their lives. And and when you try it, you get feedback from yourself. Mm. Because as soon as you start to do things, you start to sense. But you never know until you try is a cliche in English mm. for a reason. It's yeah. true. So I just think it unleashes our own creativity. I know that I can get stuck in my head. And then as soon as I just start, like there, there are expressions that I do to either think to build mm-hmm. or build to think. Mm. You know, you play back and forth with those. And sometimes you just need to go building to think no matter what it is that you're doing mm-hmm. and idea i mean sorry mit was an idea where both places where it was easy to do that there was like space to think with your hands no matter what it is you're working on whether it's a whiteboard or physical stuff so the storyboarding and other things is one but just the prototype i love that story of the people working with a surgeon the surgeon had an idea of a surgical appliance and yes and they went off and they got the the marker pen and they they created something that says this that yeah and a bit of the tweaking here and i i do think sometimes it combines some of the skills because you know i was running a class in design thinking earlier this week i said how many people like hanging out in bars and restaurants or cafes and just people watching yeah and they all hands up like okay well part of design thing is just observation so go out you know get out there observe things that people do how they interact but the key thing is once you've got something is prototyping in the feedback loop and i think you know having written the book be more wrong there's so many things that you get so wrong but as long as you're learning and the feedback loops there, so what? Okay, find another way. Yeah, let me tweak it. Here you go. It's this. No, let's throw this all away and let's start on something different. So I love the the background you've got in that. And it's all related. That's right. I like to see it all together in one compass, which is that when you try something and it doesn't seem to work, you, you discover where the wrong was. Is it like, oh, well, I actually... Oh, that's what's actually happening. I saw it was happening in a different way than what was actually happening, right? Or, oh, that's what matters most. Oh, right. I should be focusing over here. Or, oh, that way it doesn't work, but here's a different way. So they're all related, right? Like, so when you try and experiment, it can give you a new observation. Mm-hmm. It can give you a new principle about what matters most. It can give you a new idea that any of those, any of those places, you know, a change in any of those things those things don't change as easily until you try something, right? Until you actually are wrong, 
that's when you start to really see things differently about what's happening, what matters most, or what ways there are, right? You can be really married to any of those until until something, until you are proven that it's not right. And the more we do that, as you said, the more we realize, well, of course they weren't right the first time around. I mean, (laughs) of course not. (laughs) Yeah, that we're not all seeing. We can't be all seeing, right? Of course not. Like to expect otherwise is ridiculous. I like to say that life is sticky. Like that should be the expectation. Life is sticky, stuck happens, and you just expect to be unsticking and everything is going to be easier. (laughs) So what I love about your MIT story is this piece about, it's not about getting a 10 out of 10, you know, you could pull all-nighters to do that. But once you got into design, your energy levels needed to be different. And I think the energy it takes, I think a lot of us fall, almost fall out of our education without the creativity. But what I love is that story of education where so Ken Robinson's talking about the child drawing at the back of the class and the teacher comes up and says, what are you drawing? She, she says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher says, nobody knows what God looks like. And she says, well, if you give me a few minutes, they will. I love that creativity, that cloud moment, as you describe it, that just goes into that. But that takes a certain mindset and a certain energy to be able to do that. Fascinating. Moving into IDEO, I tend to be around Tim Brown and, you know, bowing in front of them because I, the whole concept of IDEO design thinking changed my business, my, my life in there. But it was interesting you were talking about how you wanted to share it and coach it and lead it. And you were the queen of frameworks and then the queen of projects or workshops. So for me, there's a piece about the democratizing design thing they had. But I think the biggest issue that he said himself once is putting that into organizations. A lot of the times it fails because they're not structured in projects. Yeah. wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And a lot of the terminology and, and sequencing of it is born of a project-based, client-based organization in the way that it was initially conceived. Um, and yet the pieces of it, you know, I think that's one of the reasons we, we've all gone our different ways to describe design thinking or just how to make things better, right? Again, I to divorce it from just design only. And so people talk about mindsets, for example, as a way to get away from, well, you can use a mindset in any situation, project or not. My own bar is actually even further, which is, I do think those are lovely. And I've also seen that, you know, in our toughest situations, our mindsets are slippery. We build them for sure. We keep building them. The more you build that muscle of a mindset, the more you have more empathic, more experimental, whatever. And you know, at two o'clock in the morning after 20 years of human-centered design when my daughter was screaming downstairs and I was going down the stairs and like starting to scream back and going like, oh my God, I know, I know that I know better than this and I cannot access it right now, right? And so that's my bar. And it made me feel better that, you know, I've seen leaders that I do and other leaders of another other amazing, amazing practices um, not being able to access their own practices at those moments would make me feel a little bit better <laughs> after that two o'clock in the morning episode and many others like it. We're human. And so, uh, you know, I went at IDEO, I, especially early on, like just worshiped our own leaders and like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to, you know, a C-level person at PepsiCo or GM or whatever. Yeah. Um, and just realized that we're human. <laughs> people are people. <laughs> we're all people. And every moment is a project yeah. at any given moment in a classroom, in, in a conference room, in a boardroom, in, in a lab, stuff is happening that is a challenge that you can, you know, apply this stuff to and it will make things better, right? Because of the same questions that are asked 
for making parenting better and the same questions are, you know, for making leadership better and making communities better and services better. They're the same fundamental questions. And so, you know, so I love project-based learning and, and education. It's awesome. It's great. It's great. It's great. And, you know, that's like that sliver, they, the 15 minutes they get a day to do that. You, I mean, it's awesome. And every moment is a project, right? Like these kids just, one of the most common uses of Innovator's Compass <laughs> I mean, for all the different amazing like things that happen in the world, I think like if I was to just account the number of incidences to solve playground conflicts, you know, and also conferences, that's another really big use, like a bunch of, you know, doctors are together and they need to solve like how to support AIDS patients. And they use it. That, that's another really big one. But but like mm-hmm. playground conflicts, you know, is another one. Or, um, you know, I do want I use it every morning to just sort of unstick my day and, and make it as great as it can be. So, you know everybody plans stuff, right? That's a moment. You plan your day, you plan an important meeting, you plan your strategy, all of these things. These are all of these moments are our projects in their own way. They're, they're challenges that you can meet with the stuff if the stuff will meet you there. And that's where the challenge of making it accessible for every person and moment came in and being able to say, no matter what's going on, being able to pull out some of these questions like, okay, seeing who's involved, seeing what's going on, right? Like what's going on is I'm yelling right now and I'm we're actually really tired and really hungry. And I think she's really hungry too. And, or even in a really big, right. Going, zooming all the way across to like the organizational level, right. What is happening? Who are these people? What's happening for all of them? What matters most? What ways are there? What's the step to try Like that, you know, if you look at, if you compare it to things like CPR, Mm-hmm. when you need to resuscitate someone, like those are really, really concrete steps or the one we all learned, if you're on fire, stop, drop and roll, <laughs> you know, like yeah. things you can access <laughs> at any moment under any, you know, stressful conditions, yeah. <laughs> like they will come back to you because they're that accessible. Um, and yet they have to work, right? If stopping, dropping and rolling doesn't put the fire out, then you're not going to, you're never going to use it again. We probably don't get the chance, but but the same thing goes for these, you know, so that was what was so hard for me was that like you had to keep making it more and more accessible and yet more and more powerful. Every time I'd learn about a new practice, mm-hmm. like appreciative inquiry or something, I was like, oh, oh, oh God, I really want to understand the essence of this and make sure that mm-hmm. it's represented in this thing I'm putting out in the world. And so I kept trying to pull all these things into it and make sure that these, what ended up being questions they weren't originally, um, represented the essence of all these powerful processes out there. But then if you use the word process, there was actually a time at IDEO where, at least in our studio, like the word process was kind of banned because as soon as you force an order or a duration to these things, that's when it becomes like the project. The words process and project will turn a lot of people off like, oh, well, that's a project. But rather just, these are questions in some of the big global challenges. We're going to pursue them for a long time. And for other moments, well, we're just going to pursue them for a moment, right? Like what's going on, right? If there's a fight on the playground, you don't have to even use all of them, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, what's going on? Does somebody have a better idea than what's going on right now? Like, hey, you know, you can just <laughs> just use a couple of them and go, right? Or just for me, um, I didn't have a chance to do a full like compass before I came into this call because um, I came right out of another one. And so here it goes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show, I'm showing something to Colin, which is yep. all I was able to write was just a what draw was a what matters most, which is a little heart and rays coming out of it, which is simple, powerful from the heart. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs> I didn't have time to think about anything else. That was my design thinking, which was really tacitly going. I'm going into a podcast and it's me and Colin and his leadership audience and 
you know, I'm coming out of a lot of things. Everybody else is coming, you know, to listen to this out of a lot of things. And what matters most is just keep it simple and powerful from the heart and it'll flow fine. It'll hopefully land fine. It'll hopefully be meaningful, you know, to some people. And I didn't have time to think about ideas about how that would potentially happen or go further, but just like left it at that and trusted that the ideas would flow and it would be an experiment and it'll be totally great. So I just walked through, you know, a bit of innovators compass right there. That's to me, the portability of being able to scale it, the flexibility to use it in any different ways. There's a picture that I use that people really like. Again, I draw a lot of pictures, but um, I call it the squiggles and it's everyone's favorite slide or picture on my website. And it shows like this backdrop of these five questions in this compass format and then lines on top of them. So there's one which has what I would consider traditional design thinking and almost any process out there, which is you do a big sweep of like, okay, who's involved? Good observations. What's happening and why? Let's then figure out some principles or design principles um, about what matters most. And then let's do the brainstorming and then let's try and experiment and then let's start to iterate. That's one very common process. And then there's like agile and those kind of rapid iterative incremental development processes where it's like, you have an idea. Don't like go back and do a ton of research necessarily. Just find a smart way of testing it that you learn a lot from without breaking the bank, you know, and is quick, learn quickly and just, you know, build, measure, test over and over and over again. So that's a different kind of process. And then there's tinkering and improvising, which is like mindful, but messy, right? Like I do something and I see what happens. I do something, I see what happens. I do something and I see what happens. And once in a while it's like, oh, the big epiphany, the, oh, that's what really matters. Oh, that's a better idea, right? Pops out. And so it's like this really messy bunch of squiggles. And then the last one is, you know, the subconscious where you just have this amazing idea that comes out of nowhere, but you didn't, right? Like inside, there's a bunch of observations and principles and ideas that have, and even experiments that have percolated before that one popped out, right? You've been noticing what's happening. You've been noticing what matters or that wouldn't have happened, right? You wouldn't have had that idea. And they're all great. I don't care. (laughs) What I've come to come away with is like the essence of all of these things that they are reminding us. They just remind us to ask more often, you know, and see in new ways who's involved, what matters most and why to see in new ways who's involved, what's happening and why, what matters most, what ways are there to do that. And was a step to try so that I can again see, you know, what matters most. It took a long time to get to that, like, you know, a decade, but that portability is what I was hoping for. And it does not replace anything. Um, It doesn't replace design thinking or adaptive leadership or anything else. Those are amazing. They're what inspired this. But one thing that David Kelly told me the last time, I think we spoke actually, which is regrettably probably about four or five years ago, which was, first of all, can you finish this? Like, just put it out there. Stop iterating. (laughs) (laughs) Because people... I need a bridge to these things, right? Like, again, the accessibility every person moment, not everyone is used to like pulling out a process. You can't pull out a whole process in every moment. The essence of those things that's, you know, will serve a lot of situations, hopefully get us out of the bigger challenges. But when it doesn't, and when there are bigger challenges, then it's a bridge to all of those. And between all of these different amazing things that are so siloed right now to make, you know, things better in our lives and work and world, those are actually really, 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 really interrelated, Mm -hmm. right? Like we know that as leaders, everything we do is just the sum of all the human beings that are doing them. And so, you know, if we as a leader are not able to navigate our challenges, that's going to percolate all over the place, but everybody within them too. And so being able to, um, I draw this onion, which is like the human, you know, individual human at the center. And then like for team, my, my, my students and people I coach teamwork, like individual and then the team, mm. you know, being able to apply these same questions to how we're doing, 
as a person, um, mm-hmm. which affects our teamwork, affects our families, everything else. And what's happening in our families, you know, comes back and affects us and then will affect our teams, right? Yeah. What's happening as a team using these same questions, you know, what's happening with us as a team, what matters most for us as a team, what ways are there to work better as a team? Certainly at the project level, that's the famous use of it, but also beyond, right, at the organizational level and, and so on to see that it needs to port back and forth between those things because there is, you know, there is no success of the project or the organization or the dream without being able to use it. I'd love that piece. Though. You know, from the individual level to the global level and from the momentary level to the bigger one, we just have to be able to ask these questions in big ways and little ways. I love that, that last piece here because for me, it's, it's flipped. It's changed a mindset that I've held for a while now too. It's in the moment. It's that stuck, whether it's playgrounds, altercation, whatever it is that we're talking about. But it's the questions we're asking ourselves in the moment, you know, to, to find a way. But what I loved is this provides a bridge to the other tools, you know, that potentially could be used in that moment. But I also just loved what you said earlier on, which is it's the practice. And a lot of the times we don't practice. We don't practice being in that moment, you know, and um, I've got a good friend, Leanne Davy, who's wrote the, a book called The Good Fight, but she talks about being positive in conflict, using conflict, you know, in a good way to to generate. And it, it's the same thing when you're in that space. What are the things that come to the mind and your mindset, but also your mood set will affect what's going on there. So I, I just do love that, that bringing to, uh, to life there. Now, you talked about you being a social entrepreneur. How are you bringing this and what you're doing to the social entrepreneur piece? I'd love to finish on that just to to hear a bit about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So on a couple of different levels, one is this work itself. So making our best ways of making things better or our best ways of getting unstuck accessible for every person and moment is the mission of um, innovatorscompass.org. So what that has become has been sharing these five questions in a wild variety of formats that have been used from preschools to global conferences to, I mean, if you ever told me at MIT, I would be making a colorful sticker. I would have been like, you are talking to the, a different person. Like this is not me. Innovatorscomps.org is very virtual. It's, it's a community of people around the country, around the world who have helped to, to evolve these questions. Be like, Ella, that does not make sense. <laughs> and proposed all of these formats, like the, the unsticker, that gets you unstuck. Definitely not my idea. Thank you, Kara, for that one. All of these things that people have contributed, these ideas come in, I create them, and I put them back out there, and people use them, and the deal is everything is free, but you do need to share back your experiences because those stories are really what move my work forward, and it moves the world forward. So that's kind of the premise of the work, and people are out there changing their lives and schools and organizations and world with these five questions. And if they're finding that they need something else to do that, hey, can you make little postcards where each one is one of these questions? Yes. <laughs> yes, we can. So all these wonderful ideas. Yes, we can. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we sure can. If that will help it reach more people, then by all means, you know, can you create backdrops once COVID came? Okay, I need, we need to make backdrops for people's screen so that they can quickly drop it into Miro or Mural or Google Slides or Jamboard or whatever it is they're using, you know, and people ask for these things and we just do it. And after so long of consulting and coaching everybody else's products and things, this is mine, right? Like it has been a journey of just like, of having to use it on itself to make it simpler, but also to navigate. So to ask, to really own what's happening and why with it, 
is this thing out in the world actually helping people make things better? Are they getting more stuck? At the beginning, I made people way more stuck than unstuck. Yeah. So having to really own that and figure out what mattered most, that powerful simplicity, that everyday accessibility, and come up with another idea and, and keep trying things. What's it doing in my life? A few sets of principles that have really come out for me, because I have to use those every day in order to navigate this, just like any other leader, right? Mm-hmm. One has been this hierarchy of mission first and then means. Mm-hmm of which one of those means is money, but there are other ways. There had to be because I've had to resist funding in order to be really, 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 really agile. And so that's where, you know, the whole barter system of like people like helping to create things and, and how to use a whole community has come from. So, and just every day, like just navigating and, and, and being able to make these decisions for myself with my family about um, what really matters most, what doesn't. I'm really grateful that we've been able to decide that we have enough for me to be able to do to go off and do this and really really grateful to have a, a husband who went went in with me on that and and then to have a portfolio of you know I still do corporate workshops and things like that 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 offset the tremendous amount of pro bono work I put into the world and so that kind of creativity having to be able to apply like what ways are there we are determined to do what is right for this work we've got to find ways we've got to be creative so just having to use it in order to move forward has been really powerful and use it every day to navigate my own, you know, that's, I think like any leader, it's been really, really so challenging. You know, I I pulled more all-nighters actually uh, back into those actually as a social entrepreneur than I did at IDEO and MIT combined easily, like way over, Mm -hmm. you know, when someone needs something, they're going to do something amazing with it the next day. I'm like, we can do that. Oh yes, we can. We got this. (laughs) So just compassing every day and coming away with, with principles, like to really pick what I'm doing, what matters most. And then um, be positive about that, be present to it, make it powerful, not perfect. That's one of the daily I love that. You know, pr- things that have come out of my daily compasses when I, every day, every morning, who's involved in my day, what's happening and why. And I've also learned another set, which is love, listen, laugh, learn, let go. Those, that set works really well with my family and with the people that, that I coach and myself. My journey as a social entrepreneur has been going back to what we said at MIT. Like when you believe something that needs to happen, hmm. um, there's going to be a heck of a lot of stuck along the way. Yeah. And just, you know, when things go wrong, I should end up telling myself, usually my kids end up telling me, or my mom has told me, use your own compass, Ella. <laughs> you need to stop and use your own compass. Uh, going slow to go fast. Eat your own dog food. Yeah, eat yeah. your own dog food. <laughs> Drink your own champagne. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To be able to sense the biggest lessons from all of this for me are like to be able to sense stuck and stuck doesn't mean that you're stopped. It might mean that you're spinning. You could be sliding backwards or going sideways from your goal or it can feel, it could just be stuck, not moving in a great way forward to be able to sense that early and start unsticking, expect to start unsticking and start doing it. And so that has really been the journey as a social entrepreneur and that it's really, really, really all about people embracing and, and unleashing your own creativity, letting yourself do those things and your own humanity that you aren't going to be perfect and you are going to get stuck and letting people in, letting people help, letting people give you, you know, I think this is so true for all organizations that all of the people in them and all of their customers are the organization, are the organism. They can all contribute on the ground observations. They can all contribute ideas. They can all be back on the ground with their hands trying the experiments. And so the more that you embrace, um, in my case, my community and organizations, their whole, you know, every, their whole community and their organization as one kind of organism and, and allow it to generate and evolve 
their portfolio of observations and principles and ideas and experiments, the more powerful they will be. And I try to eat that dog food too. Yeah. Sorry, I gave you the dog food. It was, probably wasn't the best analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Drink your own champagne. The principle is Corsten uh, was the person who introduced me and each of to us. And I, for me, I'm grateful because firstly, I've learned a lot today and I've learned that, that journey, that story behind it. But also for people listening, there's, there's a passion about doing something that is real learning the failure and, and how you've learned and you had the feedback loop throughout that. But I love the part about David Kelly saying, just get it out there. You know, it's, um, the, there's a piece about democratizing and getting it out to the world to allow people to, to be part of your community. And I'm, I'm glad to, to say that I am now, which is fantastic. Thank you for being on today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. If people want to get in contact, Ella, how would they do that? You can find me at Ella, E-L-A, at innovatorscompass.org, one word, or go to innovatorscompass.org. The website, you'll find all free resources that have been used and contributed by people in all kinds of settings. So, and you'll find me there as well, or on the hashtag Innovators Compass. Superb. Ella, a delight. Stay well, stay safe, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you. Well, that was superb. Thank you to Ella to come on today. Uh, the energy, the enthusiasm for her work, passion for her subject, and there's a lot in there to, to chew over. If you're anything like me, I'm probably going to sift through whole parts of that conversation again to think about what we take out of it. But there's a couple of bits that uh, really make sense to me. And one is the power of questions. And I know people will say that, but it's the practicing of the ability in the moment to think in a different way, to ask the questions. So as she's talked about there, rather than getting passionate and irate in a situation, how do you, how do you stop, pause, reflect and engage in a different way with the power of questions? So Innovators Compass is part of a community so you can get involved, engage, delight as she could join us today and share her journey. Uh, and I'll be delighted if you join me in another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Looking forward. Take care. Take care.